I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, and welcome to another episode of Boots, Balls, and bras. I'm here with Eartha Pond and Farah Williams, and today we're doing it just a little bit differently. We're online chatting about a lot of different things. We obviously had a really interesting weekend in the Barclays WSL, but if you hadn't noticed, uh, the Men's World Cup has kicked off, uh, and we do have some topics that have been flying around during the Men's World Cup that aren't really anything to do with the scorelines. So, a big week. Um, let's kick off with the WSL. Uh, Arsenal Man United. That was my favorite game of the weekend. Being in the Emirates with over 40,000 people there. And Man United coming back to beat Arsenal 2-3 in their home stadium. Really good game. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, from, from watching it, I just think Arsenal in the first half didn't turn up. Nothing like the Arsenal team that we're used to seeing in in the WSL. Um, it was a very slow start from, from them and Man United come out quick. They were front-footed, aggressive in their press and really unsettled the Arsenal team. And, you know, they got their goal before the half and, you know, they, they, they rightly went in at the half a, a goal up. But I actually think that they could have gone in more, a few more goals up and probably, you know, made the game in the second half a little bit easier. What they did by only being a goal up was allow Arsenal to get back in in the second half. We've seen, obviously, Arsenal come out you know, better in the second half. I wouldn't say to their best, but better in the second half and went look at 2-1 up. But um, what I saw from from the Man United team, which I haven't seen before, is a mentality shift. I don't know whether it's from some of those England players that shifted that mentality during the the Euros, but, but it was those players that really stood up and, you know, got their team back into the game. And it's what Man United have needed to really compete. I think it's that mentality and that, that psychological aspect of the game that I think has been you know, hanging over them for a bit in terms of trying to break that top three. And they proved against Arsenal in, in a packed out home stadium that they can do it. And um, I think it will be a, a massive relief for them and it will really help them go and push on. And as I mentioned earlier in the season, I think they'll be that team that finishes in that top three just behind Chelsea and Arsenal. And I think they've gone a long way to showing that with that, with that result at the weekend. I, I definitely agree. And, and I think if you look in sort of the past, once teams have sort of gone down to Arsenal, like the mentality to sort of say that we're not going to win the game or maybe to get a draw, I think, like you said, that shift was like very clear, especially from a United team who, like Man United are relatively new to, I guess, the top leagues in, in the women's game, if you look at the history of it. And to see, I think, that additional resource of that mentality and that that belief, I think Mark's definitely come in and sort of bought that, that belief and, and passion um, in terms of that Man United squad and to see them come back and keep going, like even even to the death, like not just run it down to the corners and try and get the draw for a team that is not really seen as, I guess, a championship winning team. Like it's amazing. And as a United fan, it's always uh, mm-hmm. always good to see them uh, taking points off, 
off Arsenal. But for me, it, it's really good in, in terms of the, the competitiveness of the league. And yeah, we've got some people that are staking the claim to say that, yes, we might not be at a historically kind of big club, but we're, we're just as good in terms of players and, and we want to sort of change the, the shape and face of the game. So, yeah, yeah. really good to, to see that United uh, win and, yeah, the league's back open again. Yeah, and again, we have, we spoke about her last week. We we said, you know, is Ella Toon shaping up to be one of the best players or one of the watch, you know, players to watch at the Women's World Cup this next summer and sort of hmm, had to think about it. But again, opening in the scoring and then Alessia Russo, her buddy, finishing the scoring with the third goal. Um, so those two for me are just an incredible impact players within that lionesses but really leading that squad and the biggest difference too was i think jonas jonas eideval and mark skinner the the interviews after the game was so interesting just hearing like you said farah the mental differences and the mentality that they were going into this game where mark skinner he he was really adamant that you know they can do this they can beat these teams where here in their home it's forty thousand people and the in the in the Emirates Stadium, and we're still gonna we're gonna win this game. Whereas Jonas didn't feel that convinced. He admitted as well they had a poor first half, and so yeah, I, you wonder how much of that leadership and that confidence that Mark Skinner is giving that team as well. I um yeah on Russo and and Toon, for example, I think you, you've heard a lot of, of, of pundits have been saying that you know it's the big games that we need to see these players turn up in uh, going off of last year's WSL, you know, in the big games, they wasn't able to score or impact the game. I think the, the, the Euros has had a huge impact on, on those two in particular in terms of playing in front of big crowds and, and knowing how to play. I think, you know, the fact that they were, what, what we, you know, for the Lionesses, super subs and, and changed the game and made a difference and impacted the game in front of thousands of people. I actually think that, that's actually helped them psychologically. I think in terms of playing in big crowds, now they want to be that entertainer. They want to be that standout player. And I think, you know, based off of that performance against Arsenal, 40,000, I think it changed their level of play. I think both of them, or certainly Toon in particular, I think, you know, she was really aggressive in her play, really wanted to get on the ball, make things happen, box to box, um, work until the end. I think that the, I think that's what the difference was in terms of the Man United team and, and the Arsenal team uh, on Sunday, on Saturday, so it was is that United outworked them in every department. And that, mm. and it was those two players that really drove that team on. But I think that's the levels that if, you know, we're talking about going to next year's World Cup and being starters for England and having that impact, they have to continue with the form that they've started the season with. And I think the Euros definitely helped them with that and playing yeah. in packed out stadiums. Just definitely. on that, Faz, I think as well, just another player maybe that obviously missed out in the summer was Katie Zellum. And I think for her as well, I think she had a really good game uh, mm -hmm. against Arsenal. She was box to box. I saw, like, again, she's maybe not someone who's always talked about, but again, as an England player, definitely on the fringes and, and just missed out in, in the squad. And I think for her, she's a key player for Man United as well in terms of what it is that they do going forward, but also defensively in terms of structure and, and leadership. I think she's a, a big name that maybe just goes under the radar a little bit as well. So, mm. yeah, another player to, to look out. And I definitely she's looking to stake her claim by performing domestically to, again, make that squad and maybe almost like a another Beth Mead story where you miss out previously, mm. but then you come back and show them what you got. So, yeah, another yeah. player to think about. Yeah, she had at least one... One assist, I think, at least one. Both set pieces. She's yeah. corner and free kick. There we go. Yeah, certainly, her set pieces are a massive in international football. We all know that, you know, set pieces can can win or lose games. So yeah, I think certainly 
she's got growth in her in terms of she's got a year to grow and, and try and develop into that leader that you mentioned there Eartha. always had the talent but she just sits on the fringe doesn't she at the minute with the midfield but yeah definitely has a chance of going to the world cup next next summer and having more nice nice and um emma hayes is back on the sidelines with Chelsea, who beat uh, your team, Eartha, as well. You have two teams, uh, Tottenham 3-0. Um, and we have Pernille Harders out, just had a hamstring surgery. That's a, a, you know, a decent loss for Chelsea, but also for uh, Denmark moving, looking ahead more towards the Women's World Cup. But Chelsea just looking really strong right now against, uh, against a team, Tottenham, that you know, had an 8-0 win previously, recently as well. I feel like Emma Hayes knows that things are going to happen. Like it's like she predicts what's going to like. It's like you know she can predict the future. It's like I knew yeah. that Man United were going to go to the Emirates and beat Arsenal, and that we that we were going to play Chelsea, at, sorry Tottenham at Stamford Bridge the, the next day, and with a potential win go top of the league. And it's like she predicts, you know, manages her time of coming back. She timed it to perfection, and you know the performance against um, Spurs was very controlled. I think you know it wasn't one of those where Chelsea were at their very best, but they didn't need to be. Uh, you know, mm. I was at the game and I felt Chelsea controlled the tempo after that opening 10 minutes where where Spurs really tried to give it a little bit of a go, had a couple of chances. Chelsea just played, uh, you know, at their own tempo for for the rest of the, the remainder of the game and got the three goals they needed, were able to make, you know, the five substitutions that they needed to make to rest up players for their midweek Champions League fixture. So perfectly time return for Emma Hayes. It now puts Chelsea top of the league and when they're top of the league, they're very hard to knock off the top. Mm. I think Chelsea really brings that sort of blueprint of like a whole club structure. And that's what I really like. So whether Emma Hayes was there or not, there always looked like there was the right pedigree of staff to sort of step in. The players all know their, <clears throat> all know their roles. They're all working together. And yeah, I think whether it's great, it's always great to have obviously Emma back because we want all teams to be at their full strength competing. Um, but again, when you look at the other top clubs, it's always maybe just, the manager or that leadership whereas you really see from the sort of doctors physios management um you really see like a whole sort of thread which runs through the through the team and maybe that could be the difference when we're looking at fine margins where again teams are picking up points from from each other that could be the the bit that sort of gets them over the line yeah, and and like you said, they were playing in Stamford Bridge. It was sold out with thirty eight thousand over thirty eight thousand fans there. That's always great to play in those environments as well. As you mentioned, that coming off of the women's Euros, this is now the the new norm in some games. Although the other game that we want to talk about, Brighton Liverpool three three, um, had a little bit of a lower crowd there in the two thousands, but also an interesting game. You know, Brighton. We talked about Hope Powell leaving Brighton after their eight nil loss. Uh, against Tottenham and Liverpool at the bottom of the table, you know, with a point there, really important. So, you know, does what does that say about the middle to bottom of the table right now? I think it was a, a really competitive game. I think for, for Brighton, you know, they've, they've showed that they can score goals, but they're leaking a lot of goals, which is the reason why they're in the position they're in. You know, we've seen the other week, they the 5-3 against, or 5-4 against West Ham. Now they go 3-1 up against Liverpool. Uh, they can see two really late on in the dying minute. So mm-hmm. for, for them now, they found a way of scoring. Now they have to find a way of of staying in games and, and really seeing games out, which I don't think they, they, they quite have that yet. I mean, Katie Robinson, after making a senior debut with the Lionesses uh, in midweek, 
had a, an, another fantastic game. She gets herself on the score sheet and, and another assist. So she had another standout game for Brighton. Um, we've seen, obviously, uh, Rachel Finesse, who, who, who come on at half-time for Liverpool. I think she made a, a, a huge difference for them in terms of how they play. I just think she brings that Liverpool team a little bit more aggression and certainly from set plays uh, can have a, a huge impact for them. But I, I, I said it from the beginning, I just think the gap uh, between you know that top three and, and the rest is, mm. is massive and we're starting to see that that middle pack are, are quite close in terms of you know the competitiveness of the, the teams that play in and around there. So, so just based on that, Faz, do you reckon in terms of the sort of Brighton team, do you reckon it's tactical is it in terms of their strategies and they're able to, I guess, like you said, see out games and understand what it is that the management want them to deliver and them not quite doing it on the pitch? Or do you reckon maybe they need a few more players in terms of strengthening that squad? Obviously, in, in order to push on to the sort of top side of the table, yes, we're going to need that. But in terms of the leakages, what, what is it? Because a lot of that squad's been playing together for quite a while, right? Yeah, no, they lost some players, didn't they? They've got a they've got a small squad, Brighton. Brighton's squad is really, mm. really short in numbers. They bought some some players in. They have quite a few foreign players that they've brought in as well, which is obviously in terms of cultures of football, is totally different. Um I, I do think they need more experience within their team. I think in terms of game management, I think that's what they haven't got. You can't mm. go that far ahead in games and not be able to manage and see out a game and it could be tactics. It's having that leader in there. And I know they've got Victoria Williams at the back, who who is that leader and very experienced in WSL. But but one at centre-half and obviously Dan Carter up front, you know, one at the top and one at the bottom is just not enough. They haven't got people that are actually going to, you know, as you say, you free one up do for five, ten minutes. Do we need to pull players in and sit in? And, you know, those type of tactics. I'm not sure that they have players that have that sort of game understanding or that, that them leadership qualities quite yet uh, to be able to, to manage players around them to, to see out results. And, and with that, they end up having transition games, which we've, we've seen with those, you know, that mid-pack teams in the WSL. It's so transitional that opportunities for, for, for goals is, is greater. Yeah. Mm. And with that, Brighton now drops to ninth place. Uh, they could have stayed in the running for seventh or eighth, which Tottenham and Everton are at now with nine points. Um, and Liverpool is at 10th place now with Reading and Leicester City up uh, at the rear. Aston Villa also beat Reading 3-1. And we did talk about Rachel Daly. And I said even just recently, right, that we actually spent about a fourth of our podcast last week talking about Rachel Daly. And does she play up front? Does she play in the back? Where does she have the most longevity in her in her career? To have a listen if you haven't heard us chat about that last week. But now she's gone up top and she scored three goals. One was called back for her team. Um, she's just smashing it here. Yeah, uh, for, for me, again, domestically, yes, she's doing the business. Um, I think like Farron mentioned last week, at, from an international point and having that longevity, I'm not too sure if that's a position that she'd, I guess, want to go into in terms of risking her place and competing with, I guess those other out and out strikers and without that versatility, that's, mm. I guess, I'm glad I'm not a manager. That's not for me to decide. Mm. Um, but in terms of her team and domestically, and I guess the package that was sold to her to come back to England, it's, it's going in the direction that she wanted it to go. So mm. yeah, looking forward to her challenging and I'm sure all the other strikers are sweating thinking <laughs> the defenders scoring more goals to be like, 
yeah i don't, I don't know what's happening so she's yeah having fun see. too isn't she she looks like she's just having a great time being back in england i don't know it must be the weather or something farah <laughs> <laughs> She loves playing up front. We, we, this debate could go on and on about Rachel, and I think she yeah. knows that herself. I think when she goes to the England camp, yes, she wants to prioritise playing as a nine, but you know she'll openly say she'll play anywhere. Like I think any England player would when you're in that that squad, just get in there and represent your country. You would give all wherever you put. She's more yeah. comfortable as a striker. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's evident. It's evident when she plays Aston Villa. That 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 instinct she has in the box, she enjoys it. She plays with a, more of a smile. But as I said, it. it you know, there's more players to compete with it international, and I guess it's not really up to Rach to make that decision. Um, Serena will have her reasons as to why she sees her, you know, more as a fullback in the international setup than a striker. We've seen her play midweek uh, for the Lionesses in a in her last mm-hmm. game, getting that goal, um, the header from from Chloe Kelly's cross. So she can score when she starts in the nine for England as well. She scored in mm-hmm. both games when she was a fullback and a striker. So I just think for for England, I think for now. Um, in terms of longevity, uh, we'll probably see her more as a fullback. Yeah. Hey, we all are number nine when we start playing football. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Were you guys as well? I was for sure. Yeah. Who doesn't know yeah. about yeah? Yeah. Glory goals. <laughs> more fun scoring goals. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's it for our first half. And now heading into our halftime team. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today talk my goodness this is such a huge topic and we won't be able to touch on everything that we would like to and it will probably continue the conversation in the next podcast but one of the things that we wanted to touch on was everything that's going on in the men's world cup right now is so much bigger than just the football we will talk about you know the england squad as well and how they did in their first match but really the social activism in football and what's going on around the pitch we had Iranians men's team standing in solidarity with women in their country. They, uh, both the players and the fans knew that the world was going to be watching and took the opportunity to, um, to protest against the government and everything that's going on back at home. The male players uh, did not sing the national anthem. They stood silent and all of the fans were holding up signs uh, for the women back at home. And that was obviously sparked by the death of Masa Amina, a 22-year-old woman who died after being detained by Iran's morality police uh, for not allegedly abiding by the country's conservative dress code. So these players taking a, a really strong stand and you know, fighting for the women in their country. Thoughts on that, you guys? That's big time. 
Yeah, I, I guess for me, there's always going to be some sort of social activism that that is going to take place when the world is watching them, whether that's in, in football or in any other sort of competition. But I think a lot of the time people mention that football is completely different to society. And yes, in essence, it is. But I think it's the only sport, I think, worldwide that can really I get, guess people to, get people talking and allow for real action and change to take place. What the topics are, what people are talking about, what they're sort of fighting for, it is, I guess, is another question and changes from tournament to tournament. So I guess for me, the, the, the point is how important are these issues and how, I guess, what's the, how can I say it? The hypocrisy, like people have been mentioning in terms of the background and what happens on a day-to-day -day basis outside of the World Cup and what are countries really doing in order to make that change. And I guess what we've seen is when when it really matters, that talk is talk is cheap, <laughs> and action doesn't really doesn't really take place. So, yeah, again, like, like I say, my my things don't tell me, show me. And a lot of people were talking that like they were going to do loads of things, and certain things should be in a specific way. But when it comes down to it, who's w willing to take that risk? Um, not many people. Yeah. Not many people. Yeah. That's half the and, problem, though, isn't it, Earth? In terms of for footballers, it's so difficult. They, I, I believe, football, as you mentioned, men's football, not even women's football. We have to say men's football because it is men's football that is so big worldwide that the players have such a responsibility, and it's. I believe they can't do right or wrong. So, so, so what I'm saying, if for example they don't wear the armband, because I'm going to flip it to the to the armband uh, thing that I know that we're talking about because they didn't act on it. Mm. If they by not wearing it, you know that they've obviously let a huge population down. And then if they was to wear it, then they would have been going against a huge population. So it's really difficult um, mm. for these players. And you know their their, their primary role is to play football. It's not mm. to do everything else outside of that. And that's a difficulty in terms of what are they and you know, these, these things are put to these players, they're asked questions in press conferences that are really difficult for, for some to answer. And I, mm. I, I myself find it really difficult to talk about topics and subjects that, you know, as you mentioned there, uh, outside of football, which we only, you know, they only highlight a little bit of these things that are happening in all these countries, but then people try and have an opinion on that don't know the deeper facts into actually what's happening outside of, say, tournament, where it, it becomes, you know, highlighted even further. But then, but then doesn't that come down to your own personal integrity and what you believe? So if you believe something in terms of taking a stand, forget about all whatever else is happening, noise is happening in the background. If you believe something and you've seen or done the research or whatever it is, you feel a specific way and you actually act that way in your normal day-to-day -day life. So you're not saying one thing, but actually you act in a different way. Then surely you must stand for something like course, what, what do people stand for i i feel though as well they feel a responsibility because of their platform that they have to have mm -hmm. to do things maybe if they're not a hundred percent understanding of it or believing in it as you say they have no integrity but they feel because of their position and their role within the game and their platform that they sometimes have to do things outside of their comfort zone for example to try and raise awareness of certain things which then becomes difficult and i think sometimes that's what happens Sometimes there's not enough understanding of certain topics or, or or things that are going on around the world. And because of players' positions, they're asked to talk on it or act on it because of the platform that they have. Yeah. And, that's, and what, that's what I believe becomes really difficult as a player.
Mm. And what you're referring to, the armband fiasco, was Wales, uh, sorry, the FA, Wales, Belgium, Denmark, Germany, the Netherlands, and Switzerland all agreed to wear the One Love armbands in solidarity of the LGBTQ community, which is obviously illegal in Qatar. Um, and the federations were prepared to pay all the fines. But then once FIFA changed their regulations, literally on the first day of the tournament, which is unprecedented um, because they're equipment regulations, but also it goes against the statutes that they have, um, Article 3, which is human rights, and Article 4, which is non-discrimination. Um, they're saying that if they were to go and play with the armbands, they would get yellow cards and potentially like you said, Far, if they go back onto the pitch, that's a second yellow card and a red card. So they were they were facing potentially being kicked off of, you know, kicked out of the games. And one of the things I find so interesting is when you compare it to, like you said, the men's game is so big and the women's game is getting there. But if you look at, let's say, Colin Kaepernick, uh, who played for the San Fran 49ers in 2016, he was the first player that knelt during the national anthem at the start of the NFL games. And that was in protest of police brutality and racial inequality in the US and everything that was going on around there. And it was very unpopular and he did it alone. And he basically has not played football since. I think he's only just signed a contract actually um, in the last six months or so. And Mega Rapino was the first female athlete to do that as well. And if you look at the US women's national team, everything that they've ever done has been as a unit, as a team, but they've had the power of the football unions behind them, the player unions, you know, fighting for equal pay that they've got, taking a knee against racism, championing all these women, you know, on the back of their jerseys for so many years, wearing rainbows uh, in solidarity of the LGBTQ community, fighting against the se systemic sexual abuse that they've had just recently in the league with the the Yates report being pushed to the forefront all of these things none of them are popular and none of the things come without a consequence and and like you say I think players often feel that they should be doing something but are a bit afraid because if you do things alone like Kaepernick did he never played again you know and he he may play but maybe not whereas if you have that solidarity as a team um, it can make a big difference you can actually shift things but isn't that isn't that the problem? And in, in terms of like FIFA's point that yes, even if we use the US women's national team as an example, they're doing all this this great advocacy work. But when you go back down to the core, it's crap. And that, and this is the problem. <laughs> What's like, crap? The, like as as in the governance, as in yeah. the, the the people who are meant to be leading it. So yes, you can say all this stuff on the forefront, and you want to make all these changes. But what does your own house look like? What are you guys actually doing? So, like my house said, looks yes, all right. <laughs> I said my house looks all right in the background of this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like you talk about individual players and people asking them as maybe as a captain or something to be a leader and deliver a certain message. But go back to those other organisations. What are they at? Are they doing everything right? What they're supposed to be doing that they they have the power to do, mm -hmm. and where there are no laws, are they doing it because it's the right thing to do, or are they still? beating around the bush to get things done so there, there's plenty it, it's a kind of give and take and I think that's why I say it comes down to an integrity of that player where they know and they're confident not what their their federation or someone else is telling them to do they know they believe this is what they actually believe and they're going to do it because that's the thing that they believe not because a federation said oh this is great and these are the reasons and we want you to champion it forget about all that the only person you could be responsible for is yourself and if you have a belief so strongly that this is what it is and that's what you do and this is the problem sometimes we we talk about having allies and people like who are going to be with us and fight 
forget that. We wanna we want an accomplice. We want someone who's when it's wrong, like Ambi well, Ambi Wombat said, you're gonna kick down that mm. door with me because you know, regardless if we're gonna get arrested, regardless if it's it's gonna have consequence, you know that is the right thing to do. Too many people just want to be allies and just do blah blah blah. So Who's are you saying come and sit in that jail cell with you? Farrah, are you sitting in the jail cell? With you? <laughs> you, you are definitely <laughs> sitting. So are you are you saying that you think that the players should have worn the armband anyway? If that's what they believe. If they believe it. If that's what they believe, then yes. Because, Do they believe yeah. it? Yeah. Risk, if I believe it. something, you're gonna if you believe something, if you really, really you're gonna do it if because you know yes there's going to be consequences yes i might have to get yes i might get a red card yes but that is something that i truly believe in but if you're mm. saying that actually i believe in it but not more than the entertainment not not then, but not to point of a yellow card <laughs> not to point to the yellow card yeah. Then, yeah but it goes back to my point earth around you know because of the platform they have and the, and the position that they're in they're mm -hmm. sometimes put you know, in these positions where they have to make a decision and, and sometimes mm. they're doing it because of their platform and not because of their beliefs. And that's where yeah. the difficulty becomes. You talk Absolutely. about doing things together there before, Bex, where you said, like, mm. you know, the United States, that the women, they would all, for example, protest against something. Now, it would have took, because obviously England were the first game, so in terms of those six nations that were deciding to wear the armband. So it would have took for Harry Kane, for example, to, to walk out with the armband on and take you know, whatever comes. So it, so it was a yellow card and, and obviously with that, FIFA would have reviewed it after the game and it could have been a potential ban, a ban from the tournament, whatever. We don't know because FIFA can decide what they want. But then having seen that, Wells were the next team that would have, would have played. If they'd already seen what would have happened to Harry Kane, would they have then wore the armband based on what, what had happened? Probably not. So if they're doing it at the same time together mm -hmm. and using that unity and power, of course it's more powerful, but it's less powerful one individual within a team doing it, which it would have looked like that in the World Cup. So, yeah, so, just, so just on that bit, Go ahead. Bex, Go ahead. I guess for me, the question is, <clears throat> it's about an armband. Who's, whose idea was the armband? Because I'm you sure even me. those individual players, there's other ways that they wanna, they would feel that they could advocate <clears throat> against the things that they think is right. Mm -hmm. But somebody said, oh, this is the thing. This is the symbol that you need to wear or we are suggesting. Actually, most of them people most probably do things in their day-to-day -day thing that supports those rights anyway. So there's there's other ways of saying this is what I believe and this is what I think's right. But somebody's saying put this on to show what why why that why do I need to put that it's, on? Why can't I just do it in my day-to-day? -day? It's not when people are looking. It, yeah. This is the integrity. Even when no one's looking, you're still doing the right things because exactly. that's what you believe. But, but someone you're getting. Said, but you're Get getting some of the biggest visibility that you'll ever <clears throat> see ever that any human would ever see playing in mm -hmm. a world cup so arguably that is why they're doing it but it's a really good point because if you look at what I, the iranian men did standing silent to show their solidarity with the women they faced death threats you know mm -hmm. the u.s women's national team all faced death threats as well when they were standing up for the different things that they were doing so like you said there's different ways to express that but one of the main issues that i have with it is if FIFA is the one, you know, doing, and there's a lot of talk about the bidding process that happened with Qatar, obviously, but if FIFA is hosting this tournament and they create their own statutes and regulations and they have statutes on human rights and non-discrimination on account of gender and any kind of orientation, strictly prohibited, prohibited and punishable by suspension or expulsion, then how come those are not included in the bidding documents? How come that when you are going to host a tournament, you have to abide by the statutes and regulations? How come they're changing these regulations on the first day 
of the tournament as well, where you're putting players in a really awkward position where they've actually written to FIFA asking that they can do this because they want to show solidarity for the LGBTQI plus community. Um, and th that's the part that I have the hardest part with because, you know, you talk about governance and how we're running different things and why should, why should it all come down onto the players? Why should they be the ones having to try to push change? Like you said, the U.S. Women's National Team pushing U.S. soccer to finally do an investigation when actually the ones that are hosting things, they need to do better. But, but, does, but does FIFA regulations override the law of the land? Because when FIFA moves their tournament to another country, those laws are still going to be there. So yes, but if you're you participating in the tournament as a participating mm -hmm. nation, you have to abide by the statutes and the and the regulations. And that that's my point is when you are doing the bidding documents, when you're looking at different countries to host. And and I, you know, I don't disagree with what Infantino said in his speech, which is getting massive criticism all around the globe. But he said, you know, you can point and you can blame or you can engage. And I don't disagree with that because we hosted a tournament in Papua New Guinea in 2016 for under 20s, and they have the highest rape rate in the world. And we were going there with under 20 girls. So you could argue, you know, what are you doing? But actually, we did, you know, a lot of different campaigns. We tried to raise awareness around it. So, but my point is, is that if you're going to these countries, there has to be some kind of a basis for uh, anti-discrimination and the regulations and following the statutes of that FIFA is setting out. Otherwise you're, you're, you're shooting yourself in your own foot. Like we, they shouldn't be in this position to begin with. That's the point. They should look if, with all of what's been said. And you heard Roy Keane say it yesterday uh, mm. when he was on ITV, it should have never been there if we or everybody believes in or, or doesn't believe in what's been been happening, you know, don't agree with all of the stuff that's happening out there. So it should never have been taken there if that's what, everybody believes but it's there now we have to get on with it that's how i see it now it's quite difficult because as you say it's, the tournament started now um the things that said that was going to happen haven't happened in terms of the, the the armband and stuff but it's alive and kicking and it's some you know some of their men that are there it's some of their dreams to play in their their first major tournament mm. definitely and she's off just, yeah so <laughs> and with that i'm dropping the mic and leaving <laughs> Oh, bless her. Yeah. No, I think it's, a, it's an interesting chat, isn't it? As you set up, as you set up governance uh, structures and systems, learning, learning from the mistakes that have been made as well moving forward. Well, it's certainly not an easy topic because at the end of the day, whatever's happening around the football, it does come down to the players because that's who we're watching on our TV screens amongst other things. So yeah, really interesting topic for our halftime team talk. And that wraps it up for today. And on to our second half, like we, we've all said, you know, the World Cup has now started. So despite everything that's been going on, really interesting things in the player of the role for social equality, some of the, um, some of the games that we've already seen, what an incredible start to the World Cup. Unbelievable England. Six goal thriller, <laughs> loving it, loving it. I mean, I didn't even had the energy to be jumping off my sofa six times, but I did. <laughs> I, you know what? I was I was impressed. I was I didn't know what to expect from from this England team. Um, I actually predicted the starting lineup. If that if we was to play a four three three, I would have nice. gone with that same starting lineup. I think it was the right lineup to go with. And in terms of the changes, I you know I did a, a, an interview the other week and I said that 
you know, if England men want to do well, they could follow, you know, some of the tactics Savini used in the summer with the women. And and what I meant by that in was, you know, if one's talking about Brazil and how good their attack is, I think that if we use the England attack right, we have, you know, our, our whole attacking line, you know, those eight players that play across the front three or as a 10, if you rotate them correctly and change them at the right time, keep the intensity up in that attack, it will give us half a chance. And, and Gareth Southgate did that, you know, 65 minutes, he changed the front three. Um, yeah, obviously he had to change Maguire and then he brought Wilson on. So we, we were able to rest now, you know, the likes of Kane, Saka, Sterling, Mount to go again in the next game, especially if we're going to play, you know, with a high press and that sort of intensity. But the disappointing thing from the result, and we've heard the players talk about it, was conceding the two goals the way we did. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, the penalty is a question mark. And, you know, again, it's the, it's the whole thing around VAR and the inconsistency because Maguire should have had a definite pen, penalty if, if that one was given um, for them yeah, for, for them yesterday. So, yeah, difficult, but a great start to, for, for England. Wells obviously got a point. Um, their fans will be happy with that. Uh, what do you mm-hmm. think? Uh, you Wells or, or England? Remember, I told you, England is, the team is just the non-exciting team of England that we're going to come through and win. Remember, I said it on the, on the <laughs> or, podcast. And or they wouldn't make it out of the group stage, stage, right? Or they won't make it out of the group stage. But <laughs> either way, if they win, I said I need, Rio needs to get me on the, on the celebration stage. Oh, yeah, and the party Remember, bus. we are going live from <laughs> the winning parade, I, pr- I promise you. We can have a double parade at Christmas, the women and the men. How about that? Yeah, speaking Christmas Eve in London, can you imagine the men with the World Cup, the women with the Euros on buses, the lights and everything? That would be unbelievable. Let's do it. Sadiq Khan. Sadiq Khan. I mean, I don't think you play ahead because there's still another like five games for them to play. (laughs) So (laughs) they're too excited. But you know what us England fans are like? We get carried away, but it it was good to be carried away with, I believe. Yeah, and and speaking of the Lionesses, unbeaten in all of 2022 with their last matches just uh, this past week. They played Japan 1-4-0 and uh, they tied Norway 1-1. Unbeaten. That's hard to do, isn't it? I mean, you've had you've just had the Women's Euros. You were a massive host. You've won it. And then you have to get up and go back to your domestic league and you have to continually <laughs> win in these games that don't really mean anything for them. They've already qualified for the Women's World Cup. Um, you know, and yes, you're always trying to prove something to your coach that you want to start. You know, Serena always has a tactics anyway, but that's pretty impressive. That really is. I think that's what's harder. I think that, you know, hosting a tournament, so the game's building up to that. You have a lot of friendlies building up to that. Um, sometimes friendlies can be, you know, you, you've played them yourself, or, you know, three Boring. of us, a little bit non-competitive where, yeah, you kind of go through the, the motions. So to go a season, you know, a whole year where, You've had to play, you know, friendly international fixtures, building into a, a Euro, sorry, a home Euros, and to be unbeaten throughout that. You know, normally you go to tournament football, and rarely do you go into a tournament and, you know, not lose a game. And, and England were able to do that. I think, I don't know what Serena's feeding them. I don't know what she's mm-hmm. doing at them in camp, but I want some of that. And I wish I had some of that when I was a player. Because it's <laughs> I think the achievement is just... Yeah, it, it's a phenomenal achievement from from the the, the lionesses to, to go unbeaten in in a whole season. And if you look at the the opposition they played, you know they're no pushovers. They've yeah. they've beaten the Germans a couple of times over. They beat USA, they beat Spain twice. 
um, you know, in the Arnold Clark Cup, they beat the Germans, the, the Spanish. So, the, so they're not beating, you know, teams that are ranked way below them. They're beating top opposition. And mm. I think that's where we've seen, you know, the growth in this Lioness team because normally we'd go into tournaments playing, you know, opposition that are ranked way lower than us. This time we've gone in there with opposition in and around us and, and really, you know, took on that challenge and, and come out on top. I, yeah. I heard they've substituted bananas for planting, so that's what. <laughs> that's that's, that's, that's what they <laughs> For what? Bananas for what? Planting is it oh. another type of banana. Um, gotcha. But yeah, I, I think we always we always come back to it. But in terms of the the investment, I think like in terms of the sort of structure within the lionesses, I think now we're seeing maybe where we never saw before is the depth of player and the ability to get the best players playing for our country, um, I think has been, been the difference. I think in historically, there's always kind of been a reliance on maybe names and players that we know that can play well and are really talented when really we're looking at who's on form, how can they progress? How can we, what, what structures are they in? How can we monitor them? And I think that investment in terms of technology and the coverage allows you to see who's playing who's playing well week in week out and transferring that into the sort of lioness structure and bringing that like i said the mentality and that next level of delivery from an international level then being able to take that back domestically is really helping i guess the, the game grow in this country but also our internationals thrive and be competitive against like wanting to get into the team and believe they can get into the team and looking at what they need to work on and, and how they can become a better player in order to I guess, benefit that overall squad, mm. I think maybe is something that, I don't know, wasn't really looked at in terms of that in-depth or detail. I think maybe from what I saw from the outside, it was more as I'm a good player, I play well for my club, I mm. deserve to be in that setting. When really they're looking at the finer detail now in not just about being good for my country, but on a world stage, like they believe, like, how can I be talked about globally? How can I demonstrate that I'm not and just I good in my country? Yeah, and I think, um, you know, we've talked about this before, but the strength of the Barclays WSL, the Women's Super League in this country and the championship leading into that is so important because when you look at England tied Norway 1-1 and Daly obviously scored that goal, which we've already mentioned, but Monum was the other goal scorer from Norway who plays here for Arsenal, who we've seen really start smashing it in the in the Women's Champions League. And and, you know, just the strength of the league here, I think, is really building so much confidence in these players to go and play internationally, where, as we've said, you know, they play against the Spanish players here with Batier and et cetera, and they're not afraid of them. So I think that's a, a major one as well. And speaking of the Women's Champions League, we've got some games coming up this week, which is very cool. They're, you know what? These are some of my favorite games of the year. I don't know about you guys. I know you like the league here and everything, but... I think it's just so cool to see the differences in the different countries and the shift that's happening this year in particular with PSG and Lyon already not winning some of their games. And um, I, I think it's just the most exciting Women's Champions League that we've seen so far. We've got Chelsea, Real Madrid, Roma, Wolfsburg, Barcelona versus Bayern, big game, and Juventus versus Arsenal amongst others. What are your guys' thoughts about the Champions League and some of these games coming up? Exciting, man. They're exciting. Yeah. Man. Like even I was at I was at Stamford Bridge the other day, uh, thirty eight thousand Chelsea Spurs, which is a huge London derby. To then know that you know the fans were already talking about, you know, we're playing Real Madrid midweek. I mean, that's a huge game. Real Madrid yeah. and, and and Real Madrid have, have invested, so 
you know, they've brought players in. Um, they are looking, you know, they're at the early stages in terms of their growth um, and, and trying to build, a, a, you know, a team, you know, that 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 the men have built over the years and a, and a brand in terms of their women's side to match their, their men's side. But on paper, it's an exciting, exciting game and mm. yeah, one that I'm definitely looking forward to. Barcelona, though. Yeah, Barcelona. I've been waiting for this game for yeah, months. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the best game. But I mean, if you're if you're if you're somebody that don't know that you don't know the women's game as well, you put Chelsea Real Madrid. You just hear that that kind of yeah. like, watch that one. But mm-hmm. I think Barcelona Bayern is, is the pick of the the bunch of yeah. for me. Same. Same for me as well. Although Roma versus Wolfsburg. can't play, can she? I was going to say it would have been Kira Stanway up against Kira Walsh, but uh, Kira Walsh can't play. She's a cup tied, isn't she? Champions League tied for Man City. So she's out of Champions League. Ah, right. Okay. Like little match up Stanway against her old teammate Mm. there. That's what can happen. (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. I I also think the Roma versus Wolfsburg game is going to be interesting because Roma is, you know, not a team that we talk about in the men's, really, or the women's. Um, as one of the top clubs on the planet. And they're not bad. And it's just interesting to see the depth in the Italian league coming through. Now, Juventus, I was speaking with them earlier this year about you know, the investment that they have, how they're changing their commercial structure, um, how they're looking at doing d- different things with the media and social media, um, and how they've been able to recruit more international players. You know, it was, Lena Hurtig was their first international sale ever for the club. So to see that them growing um, in the Italian league and, and just to see Roma where they're at, I think this will be a really interesting test versus Wolfsburg who um, myself and Farah have tipped to win it. <laughs> the pick of the bunch. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Did you say Spurs are going to win it? Spurs are going to win it next year. Oh, okay, okay. The league or the Champions League? No, the Champions League. Just going, oh, right. off, just going off with the Champions League for a second, because we, we spoke last week in our, uh, about the WSL 1, WSL 2, so the Championship. The they had a record crowd there at Sheffield United against uh, London City Lionesses. Yeah, massive. 11, I think there was over 11,000 at the men's stadium. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in terms of like, you know, we spoke about really trying to grow the, the, the Championship. I think the fan base is definitely there. You know, they proved it with that with that crowd that come out of the weekend. I mean, Sheffield United lost two 0 to, to London City Lionesses, but I mean, their fans turned out in numbers, which is which is nice. huge huge for the growth. At, you know, at that, mm. at that level because we need that in order for the game to grow. That championship, you know, growth has to come with the the WSL one. And I think there was just under two thousand at the Palace Charlton game as well. So the, the crowds are turning up and they're yeah. building it. The steady uh, fan base as well. Which is I also good. know even lower than that, uh, Fulham played against um, AFC. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah that's so right. They played at the, the men's stadium. So I know For the all... first time, right? The yeah. Fulham yeah. girls played there. First so, time ever. Yeah, so, I mean, mm. there's certainly changes happening within the women's game at, at the, the lower levels, and it's huge. I mean, that, that crowd is phenomenal. Yeah, but uh, it's also really nice that you could see the the brands of the men's, you know, Crystal Palace is a huge brand and it's not that big on the women's side, but they're certainly leveraging that to get more fans into the women's game. So absolutely. All right. Well, um, we wish you the best in enjoying the UEFA Women's Champions League matches this week. And we will come back to you next week with all of our thoughts on the the games and what's happening and probably some a little bit on the World Cup and I'm sure that there will be some drama off pitch as well that we'll be discussing next week so that's it for us for this week and thank you for all as always for listening to us send us in your questions topics anything that you guys think we always want to hear give us your feedback and uh, we'll chat to you guys next week thanks a lot Adios. Bye. ciao
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 